0: Good evening, everybody. Monday, January 29th, 2024, and I'm very excited to welcome everybody and my guest tonight. um, It's a guy I've been seeing his work all over social media and Twitter um, and all around uh, the Bobby Kennedy universe, and it's uh, Mr. Aaron Everett. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us tonight.
1: Hey, just thrilled to be here. Thanks for the invite and looking forward to the conversation. It's awesome.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, this is really the, the first time we've ever met. Uh, we haven't met in person, obviously, but I mean, that's that's the crazy thing about 2024 and the way our world is now. You meet people, um, you connect with people on shared interests, whether it's a political campaign or art or movies or whatever it is. And um, yeah, you came to my attention. Bobby, you know, started sharing some videos that you, that you put together and made. Uh, but I guess before we get to that, um, just... Tell people who you are and, and what you're all about, and uh, you know what, what's uh, what predated uh, you where you are now, and then led up to this uh, journey that you're on now.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm from Colorado, so Aaron, my name's Aaron Everett, and I I'm just a guy that that uh, is grown up in the West. I've, I've lived in uh, I've lived in Colorado pretty much my whole life. Little stint in Wyoming while my dad was building houses. So I grew up fishing and skiing and hunting and just kind of. Doing the West thing, uh, went to college in Canada and um, have a theology degree. So my background is kind of on the religious side of things, I suppose. I worked in the church for a minute. I was a traveling musician for a bunch of years, played um, in bands and got to travel kind of pretty much all over the world playing guitar, which was just a kick when I was a young kid, um, and loved it. Just enjoyed, kind of a creative person. That's just been my whole. Uh, experience as a, as a human is just related to creativity. Um, I have worked in a family business or have worked in a family business. It's all in real estate development, so lots of entitlement work and weird stuff that no one wants to do, talking to city governments and uh, just trying to figure out how to navigate my way through their particular scriptures. So my theology degree kind of came in handy through that process. <laughs> And uh, yeah, that's, that's who I am. I'm married I, to a lovely lady. We've been married 22 years. I've got four teenage boys. And um, I am, from a political standpoint, I have been on the right side of things for most of my life in terms of the aisle, which I don't love that particular moniker, but that's kind of how I would be characterized. And um, I've spent most of my uh, adult life kind of following conservatism, growing up, listening to Rush Limbaugh and a bunch of that kind of stuff as I was a young kid. And, um, and kind of, as I grew up, I've always had a lot of fascination around politics. It's a very cool thing. I love the American experiment. I think it's a really just fantastic kind of moment in history that changes everything. And so I, 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 kind of uh, traveled a bunch to Colonial Williamsburg with my kids. Like one of those kind of nerds that does that and, uh, just have loved those documents. I loved the uh, the idea of the enlightenment and natural law. I like to write. I grew up, uh, kind of practicing that I never really loved school but I really enjoyed writing always. So I kind of started getting into writing. I've written for Mises Institute and I've written for free the people and some other stuff that I've done online over the years. And, um, that's kind of how we get to the doorstep of where I am currently. So.
0: Wow, that's awesome. So, yeah, you've done a, done a lot of different things and a lot of cool things, it sounds like, and traveling mm-hmm. uh, traveling the world playing guitar. It was a guitar you said you played?
1: Yeah. Yeah, so uh, it was great. I mean, I got to go to Israel. I got to go to London and Italy and Canada and all over the United States, uh, driving around in my minivan in the United States playing Playing music and uh, having a, living a good life.
0: Wow, that's awesome, man! So, what what were your like musical influences? What like if you remembered the earliest record you had or tape or yeah, probably a record. Like what what would like what would a couple of those be? So i I
1: worked my first summer job when I was 11 years old in 1986, and I wanted to buy a CD player because that was kind of the big. So I I went to go buy my first CD player in 1986, I think they were like $400, bucks. i would saved up all summer, and realized that um, I didn't have a receiver to play uh, any of the CDs. So I bought a record player, and with that record player I had enough money to buy a bunch of records, so I bought um, Beatles Revolver, I bought The Beach Boys. Pet sounds and um, those were my first records, and listened to them over and over and over again. Learned how to play guitar, playing the Beatles stuff, um, and yeah, from there I just kind of fell in love with music. I just absolutely have always loved it. It's been such a, a blessing in my life to do it. I've, I can't even believe that I've gotten to do what I've done by being able to shape my fingers on some strings.
0: <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I've been uh, very similar for me. I mean, music wise, Beach Boys, Beatles and Moody Blues were like the very first um, music that my dad introduced me to. Um, Like I told you before we rolled, my dad was from Newfoundland and he spent the first 10 years of his life there. And then my grandfather moved the whole family. It was my dad and his seven siblings in his bomb. So 10 of them moved Mm -hmm. him from Newfoundland, Canada, all the way to Ventura, California in 1965. So my dad arrived in Ventura in 65 at the height of the Beach Boys thing, and he started to learn to surf, and he really got into their music, and it just stayed with him for the remainder of his life, and uh, when my brother and I were coming up, yeah, Beach Boys, Moody Blues, Beatles, and uh, amazingly, uh, when I was in high school, a teacher at my school, he, he was like wow. He was fascinated at the musical taste I had as like a 15, 16 year sixteen-year-old kid liking the Beach Boys because we would do talent shows. My brother's a drummer and I'm a guitarist, and we'd play like Beatles songs and stuff like yeah. that in the talent shows. And he knew we loved the Beach Boys, and he's like, "Hey, uh, my my cousin actually is in Brian Wilson's touring band." Oh we no! we like, no way! And he's like, "I could probably get you guys tickets and backstage passes <laughs> if you'd be interested." Um, we were like, I will, I will do that. Uh, "Yeah, yeah, absolutely." So. Like 2004, I think is the first time we went to see Brian Wilson, uh, and he was doing Smile with uh, wow. his band. And our t- the teacher at our school connected us with his cousin, and uh, that began. So that's 20 years ago. That began over. Uh, that allowed us several times to go see Brian Wilson, sit in really good seats, and then get to go backstage. And we met Brian Wilson. We met Al Jardine. Um, my wow. brother met Blond- Blondie Chaplin. Um, it, just incredible experiences and, and we got to bring our dad a couple times and it was really cool to see my dad introduce my dad to Brian Wilson and see him meet okay. him And uh, so yeah music music's very important
1: One of my favorite albums is like a little unknown one that we found out when my wife and I got married we went on a honeymoon uh, in California and we ended up in this record shop and one of my favorite albums is Pet Sounds Live which he did in this great theater in, in London and it's Fantastic! It's I, it's almost. I mean, you can't say that it's better than the original, but it is as close to a replica and to do it as to do it live. There's just this. Thing. I'm so impressed by the album. It's one of my favorites. It's like a, a go-to for my wife and I. It's really awesome.
0: Yeah, we had the good fortune of seeing Pet Sounds 40th anniversary in nineteen six. Uh, well, it came out in what sixty six.
1: Yes, uh, somewhere around there, right before uh, Sergeant Pepper's. So yeah,
0: sixty six. So in 06 we saw it at the Orpheum in Boston and then for the 50th anniversary we saw it again saw that Brian and his band perform pet sounds in its entirety and uh, wow by the time you get to Carol- Caroline no you're just like uh, <laughs> amazing. Uh, yeah
1: so that's my that's my musical journey we, we still play my wife and I still play music we like to play church but we also um we did a project a few years ago called the collectibles um and my wife just released an album actually this christmas uh that was just her singing so it's been really fun uh music's this wonderful gift man if if anybody gets a chance to do it or play it or listen to it or whatever it's just this it's a it's an awesome gift in life and i feel fortunate that i've had the chance to uh, put my hands to it that's for sure
0: yeah, absolutely. And and I think that's one of the uh, amazing things about Bobby Kennedy and the coalition of people that are supporting him is that they do come from all walks of life and all backgrounds. And Bobby has that great speech uh, where he says, you know, God speaks to us in different ways and he really gives the arts and like music and poetry and he really gives puts emphasis on that and gives that a shout and uh, you don't even have to be religious to like understand like, or to, to have that resonate with you, to have, have that have an impact on you when you actually listen to it a couple of times and think about uh, how beautiful of a statement that is and how amazing that is and how, to me, how true it is, Yeah, you know, whether whether it's a God or whatever you want to call it, a higher ent- entity, something divine, something more powerful than we are and bigger than we are. But then when you, you do encounter these human beings, so you have you have a gift that music allowed you to take your gifts and your talents and bring you all over the world. And you met people you never believed you would meet. You had experiences you never believed you would have. Yeah. And, um, that, yeah. that's like, you know, that, that happens to, well, it doesn't happen to everybody. It depends. I guess you could its scale for everybody. It's different yeah. for everyone. Um, but not everybody, music didn't lead everybody to get an event and be able to travel and do it and make a living. So it's, it's a special thing.
1: Yeah, no, I don't, I don't take it for granted. It's, it's some of those, it's one of those things that I,
0: and really like
1: all my business career, I, everything I've done in business was, I learned on the road when I was playing, like how to, how to collect money and how to keep a ledger and how to run your books and do your taxes. And I learned all of that out of a little folder in the back seat of my van. So I mean, <laughs> uh, pretty cool. It's, it, I, it's the greatest, you know, short of my kids and my wife. Being able to have had that experience is, is one of the great gifts I've, I've been able to have. So,
0: yeah. So, what is your uh, earliest memory of the Kennedys and the Kennedy family, and then, and then, of course, you know, RFK Jr.
1: This might be embarrassing, but my earliest memories are actually an old parody thing on Rush Limbaugh Bobby, or of Bobby uh, of Teddy Kennedy, and they would always make fun of him on that show. And and you know, it's an interesting thing in American politics. I, I'm, Rush was really funny in the 90s. Like, he was a funny guy to listen to, and he his show was like full of musical parodies. And he was kind of a that's why I think that's actually why he got as popular as he did. He was saying cool things, but he was also really funny, really entertaining. Um, nothing like him was ever had been on the radio before. And, I, you know, to some degree, we probably all had to a little bit of thanks to say to the guy because this, like, all these formats are a relationship to that or some tangent to talk radio and to his kind of pioneering of all of that. So those were my earliest memories. You just, you just learned as a conservative early to not like the Kennedys that was like, <laughs> just, that was like step one, listen to Rush Limbaugh, step two, don't like the Kennedys. So that was kind of, <laughs> that was kind of my earliest entree points to the Kennedy family. You know, I didn't know much about JFK, I didn't watch the movie, I didn't do any, none of that was very interesting to me when I was younger, and so probably all of that stuff just kind of bypassed my life, and, you know, I I had one kid in my, I took Russian in high school, and I had one kid that was just totally enamored with the JFK assassination, and I was like, man, I I don't even know what you're talking about, Uh, nobody cares, man, we're like 16 years old, move on. Well, you, you're not like I, I, maybe it is, I don't know like, I just want to you, go date the girl I was dating. So like what?
0: Enough. you, you could understand him speaking Russian before you can understand the JFK what? conspiracy bullshit. And,
1: and he was terrible at Russian. So, yeah. Uh yeah, no. It was just I wasn't very enamored with any of it. I didn't I and you know, I suppose that's just kind of American politics in a nutshell, right? You once you sort of find your tribe to some degree or your people it's really hard for people to break out of that. So you you start to bring on all the things that everyone tells you you should. And you know the Kennedys were they're Democrats. Said that they're the they're the moving forward of Lyndon Johnson and all all of that stuff as a result of the Kennedys. And so yeah, it wasn't it wasn't exactly. Uh, it's and it still doesn't probably sell very well with my parents. <laughs> Frankly, that I'm a Kennedy supporter. They're like you know, I think they, they're more open to listening and having those conversations. But I I do think if you're a conservative boomer, um oh, man, he is not like that name poison. And um so that's my that's my introduction to the Kennedys.
0: Interesting. Yeah, it's it's funny. Um so my, my twin brother Mike and I, we've all so we were those sixteen year old freak conspiracy kids in high school that were just obsessed with the Kennedy assassination in the cold war and that, that history of America, the Cuban missile crisis, the Bay of pigs, uh, you know, CIA, uh, shenanigans, because my, uh, my dad to some extent, but really my uncles were really all into that. And I had one uncle who just had, uh, one of the books that Oliver Stone based part of his screenplay of JFK on, yeah. which was by a guy who actually served in, um, intelligence, uh, in the Pentagon, a guy named Colonel Fletcher Prouty and, uh, Donald Sutherland. I, I don't know if you've seen JFK now since. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. It's like, yeah, it's a staple now at this point. Okay.
0: <laughs> so yeah, Donald Sutherland's character, uh, man X is based on, in part on Colonel Fletcher Prouty, a real guy. So I, I, you know, I was, I was old enough to grasp that book. So my uncle gave me that book and I read that and that kind of just blew me away and floored me. And brought me into a whole other world of looking at politics and espionage and intelligence. And then that leads you to Peter Dale Scott and drug smuggling and that the intelligence agencies are all wrapped up in that. So I kind of had this like, I guess you could call it red pilling and uh, split from conventional wisdom and views of history when I was in high school as a very young boy. Yeah. Um, and I was always very fascinated by the Kennedys and I always kind of viewed JFK as a tragic, uh, heroic figure. Um, in the tradition of the Shakespearean and Greek tragedies, yeah. um, putting his life down on the line to try to do the right thing and, and, and pull us back from the brink of nuclear war. And, yeah. um, and, and also, you know, I was born in Massachusetts, and I spent the first 10 years of my life in Massachusetts in the Kennedy's backyard. So they were – Teddy Kennedy was always my senator, yeah. and the Kennedys were larger-than-life figures um, and dominated Massachusetts politics. So um, to flash yeah. forward – to,
1: I, I certainly see them as that Shakespearean deal. I JFK for sure, and and Bobby's dad too for sure. I see them as tragic figures in a in a sadly tragic Shakespearean world. For yeah,
0: yeah, just a classic play on that, and and um, all the ideals and hopes of an entire generation just snuffed out in an instant, and then to have it happen again five years later with rfk in in a violent public way like that is is uh it's still really shocking and it's probably hard for people who weren't alive then um to really grasp the gravity of it and and how much of a real impact and enduring and lasting trauma that's had on the psyche of america
1: no doubt Uh, yeah certainly going back now i mean um Bobby's candidacy, but it really, even before that, I mean, moving into the COVID era, that's really where I first kind of came across him and sort of fell in love with what he was saying. And to now kind of go back and be sort of uh, watching these things, relearning these things with new eyes. Um, I'm a skeptic generally at heart. It's kind of who I am particularly. And I think I've, I come by skepticism fairly naturally. And so, um, to have that self-examination to say like, maybe the things that I dismissed early on in my life need to be revisited to some degree. Um, and that that all of this has opened up this kind of conversation around, man, I, I don't think I was told the truth. And I knew, I know that I've known that before this, but to then insert these other things, That were taboo at least from the conservative side of the aisle like It it was it was non-negotiable that the Kennedys were liberal and they were had no value because they were To be able to renegotiate that in my own mind revisit those things and say Why don't we sort of look and listen to what these folks have been saying? um, Has been really cool. It's actually been a really cool honest experience in my own mind and heart
0: yeah, that's awesome, man. And I, I'm with you. I think a lot of things have been turned on their head in our political system. Um, because there, there is there's obviously going to all as part of Bobby Jr.'s DNA is that Democratic Party, um, that populist party of the people, the working man, labor unions, uh, staunchly anti war, um, you know, for taxes, to, you know, you want friendly to business, but you want taxes to go towards social programs and lifting up the idea is to lift people up here within our own borders and uh, not to be over in uh, foreign wars and all these misadventures around the world. Um, so Bobby has that going through him. But then of course, in, and I've heard this from a lot of people with COVID, I call it the flu world order um, with the flu world order happening. But Bob, Bobby was one of the loudest, uh, most powerful entities pushing back on that and, and blowing the whistle on it and being like, hold on a sec here. I don't yep. think so. And it was, refreshing in so many ways and he came on a lot of people's radar through that now I mean I started this podcast in 2015 and my brother and I a dream guest was always RFK Jr. because we just simply wanted to we always had this fantasy that we were going to help bust open his father's death and his uncle's death by being able to interview him and talk to him about all the problems with the official narrative of both cases um, and to that point he no real prominent Kennedy had said anything of real uh like really explosive or really red-pilled about the cases yeah and it was really rfk junior who 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 did for the first time and what really forced him to do that was paul schrade who was shot in in the shooting and the ambassador who lived he got hit in the head he was a labor union guy and close friend of his father's said you need to look at the autopsy you have to look at the files. And to Bobby, to RFK Jr.'s credit, he went and did it. What, what a what a difficult, horrifying thing to have to face, to go look. You know, it's it's. I lost my father to brain cancer, so that's horrible as it is losing your father, no matter what it yeah. is that happened to him. But but the fact that your father was killed this way and gunned down with the whole world watching, and he most likely was the next president, to have the the courage and the ability to actually go and face that, kind of like. blew blew me out of the water and then not only that to be willing to sit down with Sirhan Sirhan the guy that they said shot your father and killed your father I mean that that shows you what RFK Jr. is made out of
1: yeah there's character there that I think um, is so interesting I mean I don't like it's so wild to think that politicians at least for my life are supposedly judged upon their character which I think is Uh, it's humorous in its own right because none of them are particularly that full of character. But this kind of stuff, you know, where you have a person who's actually experienced terrible trauma and has uh, gone through terrible things in his own life in relationship to whether it was heroin use or stuff with his ex-wife and, I mean, all of that's just terribly tragic. To be on the other side of that and watch that and to then have somebody who, like that, who's going back and having the self-examination piece of life. That's the character that I think anybody, you know, my I come from a Christian background and Christian faith, and that's the grace of God right manifest in front of your eyes. That somebody's willing to do those things, have the self-examination, that sort of era of repentance in their own heart, and then realize that forgiveness is abundant and live from that place of forgiveness. It's like, man, I, I have
0: not seen that in politicians. For sure. Absolutely. I'm with you on that. That's, mm-hmm. what, that's what's so special about this man in this campaign is how open he is and will, willing to just, without pretense, talk about basically anything in his background and his life. And the trauma being a 14-year-old boy, uh, seeing your father killed in such a horrific manner. Um, and then to deal with it and to to try and live with it, you you know, turn to heavy drugs and become a drug addict for I think it was probably like 14 years. I think he was yeah. he was kind of kind of in that um, and then get clean and and get to a place where you can get control of it. And And he always he talks about just a surrender, you know, a, a certain amount of surrendering and saying that, you know, I'm going to put my best foot forward every day and um you're right you know politicians based on character and all that it's just it's 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 insane <laughs> and yeah and, they, and and a lot of them, they're reading scripts you know like i told you before we were rolling i'm here in new hampshire this is my seventh primary they come in here and they're just like actors they're basically just actors they get in front of the cameras and they spout off a bunch of bullshit and talking points and say what people they think people want to hear And New Hampshire particularly has been ravaged by the opioid uh, epidemic of of opioids and and addiction, Uh, you know, thanks to the Sacklers and Purdue Pharma and all those monster psychopaths. Um, And politicians come here and talk about it. And then that's it. It's just talk. You know, for Bobby, this this is something the guy lived. And he understands how we can rehab a human and, and get them back to being a productive member of society. And he can speak to his own experiences, what worked for him. And and what he's done to now, you know, replicate what worked for him and help other people with it.
1: Well, I mean, truly, when was the last time you heard a politician talking about doing regenerative agriculture as part of the solution to rehab, or kind of creating clean food and clean places for people to go and have these these centers in which they feel needed and necessary and a part of a society and part of a, a community? I mean, I that's what's so attractive to me. I mean, I, I I just, there's nobody's ever talked like this. And I, that's just so refreshing to me. I mean, we have, I'm 48 years old. I've been lied to my whole life as it relates to government, whether it's war or the invasion of Grenada or 9-11 or what, you know, whatever. We've been lied about everything. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Even if, even if everything that we watched on TV on 9-11 is the true story, we haven't been told the true story, right? I mean, it's just, you, you can't, and you can't ask the questions, and you can't, you're just shut off. Everywhere you go down these roads, you are just shut off. I, I kind of, my world to this is all through Ron Paul in 08. I, I was, um, yeah, I mean, I just, he was, the, if you talked about a red pill moment, that was it for me. I mean, I started hearing him talk, I couldn't get over it. I couldn't get over that a guy was talking about not going to war when we were in the middle of that. I mean, not, oh gosh, who knows? We were in the first third and we didn't know it at the time. That, that was somebody talking about those kinds of things, talking about money, talking about the Federal Reserve, talking about surveillance, talking about, and, and it was like drinking fresh water For me, and I, I I feel the same thing. In 08, I don't think Ron Paul had the luxury of talking about anything other than governmental policy. Bobby's actually, because of what's happened, I think with COVID and everything else, and people wide open having discussions, he's now actually having the ability to talk about this wide spectrum of stuff that has just been off the table in politics, you know, and it's awesome it's so refreshing, it's so beautiful, and it's like, it—it it is making uh, conversations for me in relationship to my family, my kids, my friends, it's, it's just, you know, we're not talking about capital gains and all the crap that they've talked about for years in terms of, you just trickling around the top end marginal rate of taxes, or we're going to talk about all the things we're going to do with supporting our military and the board. it's just, it's all been horse wallop. There's nothing true to it. Um, and so to have somebody come along and say, no, these are these are the things that are happening, and actually here's some really poignant solutions. I deal with bureaucrats every day of my life. So to have somebody come in and say, yeah, you're not going to drain, come in and say, oh, let's drain the swamp. You know, I'll drain the swamp, whatever you know. It's a perfect one. <laughs> And then you hire John Bolton, who doesn't deserve to be dog catcher, if you don't know that and you can't see it, I'm on the side of where I have to go in and talk to these folks every day. And you get to realize, like, these are just kind of normal people doing their thing. And they have to do job self-preservation by making it harder, making it longer, doing all the things that they can. you have to know how to get in there and actually do the tweaking. And if you don't know how to do that, then you all you are is rhetoric. And really, that's the difference to me between Trump and, and Bobby, which is he actually knows how to do it because you have to go in and you have to be surgical about how you're going to get your way through it. You can't be a wrecking ball in bureaucracy. It'll just it, there's no such thing. You just it the ball hits the wall and that's the end of it. It's over.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, Bobby. Bobby says I have a Ph.D. in, uh, you know. Suing these guys and and, and warding out out corruption because he's done it as a lawyer, litigator for 40 years, a lawyer. He understands these bureaucracies, how they work, uh, how they connive behind the scenes, how it's a revolving door of industry. And then those who were supposed to regulate said industry. Now, you know, Trump had he had like he had the right instincts about it and the right feelings about it. But that's not enough. You need you need to know that, like you said, these people, it's every day. You need to know the mechanisms and the gears. Of government and the way it works and Bobby is such a unique figure because the dude was born in he was born into the system he was born inside of it front row seat from the moment he drew his first breath and knows how it works I mean everything A to Z in a republic whether it's foreign policy foreign affairs agricultural policy tort law uh drug policy i mean the guy the guy has he's dealt with all of it in 40 years the environment i mean everything he he understands what needs to be done to to root out corruption and and clean it up so i just the idea of bobby being able to staff our federal agencies and get some pit bulls in there get some good earnest honest people who are reformers um and and want to you know alter course that we're on is, is very exciting, and, and I'm confident that Bobby would put really good people around him.
1: Yeah, if you think back through our lives, watching politics, I bet there's maybe a handful of people that can speak extemporaneously off a teleprompter. Um, I, those are the people that are most compelling to me generally anyway, somebody that can think, this guy's got, like, he can go back through... The annals of history and recall it and remember the names. And it's, uh, it's something to hold. It's really
0: cool. It's unique. He's actually, he's, he's a gateway. He's living history. He's a portal to our history as a country because of his family and who his family is and what they've done and what they were part of. Um, so it just, when you're talking to him, it is, it's really like that, man. He, Bobby can just like tap into an ether and something will trigger a memory in his mind or he'll pull out a rare, obscure name of someone and then, you know, you'll pretend, oh, yeah, I know who you're talking about, Bobby. And then like later that night, I'll go on Wikipedia and I'll look that guy up and I'll be like, holy shit, man. He remembered that <laughs> this like obscure bureaucratic guy who for like three years was in the Department of Labor, but then got a sweetheart uh, gig at corporate at Pfizer, you know, yeah. and, and and Bobby, will, he'll be able to connect that and put that together yeah. and, and, and realize things are so bad because of so many people like that. And because it's a system now that just functions on. Um, bribery and corruption and greed.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a flywheel that just has so much momentum. It's it really it does take a Morpheus to to turn it off. That's-
0: yeah, I mean just just take for example our current Secretary of Defense uh, Lloyd Austin, who was you know mysteriously in the hospital for a month and no one knew about it, which is a, that's a major red flag. That guy comes over from Raytheon over to the Pentagon to become Secretary of Defense. If you can't see the obvious problem with that and and how horrible that is, then you just, I don't know what to tell you.
1: Yeah, that's the the conversation that uh, we all should be having, which is that trust is something that really takes both parties participating equally towards a common outcome. If you don't, if one side of the aisle never, ever plays in the world of trust, then you have nothing. You have no society. There's no there's nothing to trust. And what they've created is just a is just a flywheel of distrust. And so every time you think you get a little bit of headway, every time you think you get a little bit of room or traction, like, okay, well, maybe there's some honest people, it just comes and clips you off at the knees again because that's the system. That's what it is. And you can't it's just it's just a series of disingenuousness that you can't overcome. And it's but. Yeah. but have this unique voice at this very moment that might be able to do it if we if we work hard enough to get it done.
0: Yeah, if we if we give it a shot, and uh, yeah. absolutely on Ron Paul, man. I had the honor of working on his campaign here in 2012 uh, here in New Hampshire, and we came in second place with 24 percent of the vote um, behind Mitt Romney, the uh, the Mormon Mafia. Um, you know, all, all his money and his Ken doll hair and his talking points, and uh, that
1: rock that rock ribbed conservative.
0: Yeah, Trump. Trump's like Mitt Romney. I have a Gucci store in Fifth Avenue that's worth worth more than him, Aaron. Okay, he's a he's a lightweight. He's a total lightweight. And I'll tell you, in twenty twelve, he got down on his knees and he begged for my endorsement. He begged like a dog. Okay, like a total <laughs> dog. He did, Aaron. Um, but yeah, Ron Paul is one of the just one of the most badass dudes to ever walk the halls of power, and. To he he really put a light on things that are are what ails us, as any doctor could do. Um yeah. one of the Doctors. Dr. No Dr. No cured my apathy he was a great shirt. I saw a lot during that campaign. Um and oftentimes you would have uh Ron Paul and Dennis Kucinich as obviously they come from opposite ends of the spectrum, but very much have a lot of um connective tissue. And how they approach government, um, and and you know having I know I know I know Dennis more than I do Ron Paul personally, but you know I know Ron's people, and um, you know I obviously worked for Dennis on the campaign, and I, I've known him since I was in high school. I first met him in '06. Um, so those guys are proof that decent humans who are not reptiles can get in, and 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 can actually you know can re- can shake some shit up and can, can do some things. I mean, you know, Ron Paul talking about, obviously we want to abolish the federal reserve, but auditing the federal reserve. Um, and, you know, there's not a lot I like about Bernie Sanders, but he had the Senate bill version of that. He worked with Ron Paul on legislation to audit the federal reserve. Um, so that's kind of what we're seeing with the Bobby campaign is, is left and right people who maybe a couple of cycles back, maybe wouldn't be um, political bedfellows or wouldn't be part of the same campaign. But Ron Paul did bring a lot of that those kind of people together, and Bernie did to some extent. But I really feel, and like you said, how Bobby is unique is that this is a unique moment where we can get a coalition of those kind of people. Um, and it, boomers, you know how we're going to how we're going to reach boomers. I mean, Bobby's saying, you know, show them Joe Rogan, show them the three. Try to just try to get them to sit down and watch the three hours of Joe Rogan, and uh, it's worked for some people.
1: Yeah, for some, for sure. I, it is an interesting, I, the, the last, well, not the last one, but one of the last, second to last video I did, I tried to put him into 90-second clips, tried to put Bobby into 90-second clips, and it's tough to do, um, you know, I missed some things for sure, but that, that's that been a conversation, like, how do you reach folks that just won't do anything but listen? Like, the worthiness of their American Republic is 90 seconds, which is it's its own embarrassment on its own level, but that's where we're at. So um, that's the piece that I feel like if you can try to do what we can to reach people who won't sit down and listen to three hours of Rogan, um, it's important. Right.
0: right. Well, I'm glad you mentioned your videos, Aaron, and and I want to show a couple of them if that's cool. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so you can see that there, your video, free speech? Yep. Yeah. Okay. So let me play this, folks. Um, This is one of Aaron's uh, videos. And it's a good one. I mean, they're all good ones. But this is a quick one. It's a minute 25. And it's it's crucial. And it's one of the focal points of Bobby's campaign. So I'll let the video speak for itself.
2: That is why the First Amendment's important. Debate, congenial, respectful debate, is the Is the fertilizer, it's the water, it's the sunlight for our democracy. This itself is evidence of the problem that this hearing was convened to address. This is an attempt to censor a censorship hearing. It is the basis for democracy. It sets us apart from all of the previous forms of government. We need to be able to talk and, and the first amendment was not written for easy speech. It was written for the speech that nobody likes you for. Malinformation is information that is true, but is inconvenient to the government, that they don't want people to hear. And, it, and that's antithetical to the values of our country. So now I'm subject to this new form of censorship, which is called targeted propaganda, where people apply pejoratives like anti-vax. I've never been anti-vaccine but everybody in this room probably believes that I have been. That's the prevailing narrative. Anti-Semitism, racism. These are, are the most appalling, disgusting pejoratives, and they're applied to me to silence me, because people don't want me to have that conversation about the war, about groceries, about inflation, about the war on the middle class in this country that we need to be having. Do you think you can do that by censoring people? I'm telling you, you cannot. That only aggravates and amplifies the problem. We have to stop trying to destroy each other, to marginalize, to vilify, to gaslight each other. We have to find that place inside of ourselves of light, of empathy, of compassion, and above all, we need to elevate the Constitution of the United States, which was written for hard times. And that has to be the premier compass for all of our activities.
0: Amen, Bobby. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's, it is fantastic, man. It's just such a simple, simple message, but we just, we don't hear it. We're not hearing that from anyone else.
1: No, not at all. And, I mean, certainly there were people during COVID that were talking about it, but not anybody with it's a smart like. Um I don't know there's something about where he his status as a person and as a you know character in american life it's crazy to me that he would give that up he didn't need to
0: you know people no. talked about
1: that with trump a lot like oh he's a billionaire he doesn't have to do this you know i for it's it feels really different frankly like I feel like Trump used the presidency to somehow brand build further his brand, who his character is, you know, or lack thereof, or his sort of persona. This is like, what are you doing, man? You don't even have to do any of this. Sail off into the sunset, you married a nice gal and you can go live in Malibu and you got all the money you need and just be done with it. You're doing a great job. This is like, especially during COVID, throwing things into the world of, of this that were so, it just wasn't necessary for him. And uh, it's admirable. So when you go to Congress, I mean, as I was editing that video, I'm thinking to myself, these are people that are staring you down, telling you for 30 minutes before that hearing started about how he doesn't belong there. He shouldn't be there and there should be, a, you know, we should vote to not allow him, and here's a letter with all these people that say you shouldn't be here because you're an anti-Semite and you're all these things. To have the stones to sit in that room then and tell all those people, kind of basically go to hell, it was, (laughs) was holy cow, man, this is amazing. It's really fun to do. And really every time, I've, uh, that last one was pretty fun to kind of put put together because it was everything he talked about. They were just these like poignant in your face conversations that most, he talks about his dad, you know, going and having these conversations about telling the truth to people and they didn't want to hear it. And then by the time they're done, they're applauding. I kind of feel the same thing is happening. I mean, he's telling the truth to people and you're going, "I, I don't, I don't know that I want to hear this, but if I listen long enough and I'm willing to listen and hear it out, the logic is all there. And um, it's been it's yeah, it's just really cool to see somebody the long format thing is so fantastic. So
0: Yeah, he, he's doing circles around the other candidates. I mean, you know, first of all, Biden, they just they got him on a tight schedule and they they give him whatever drugs they gotta give him in the morning. And as Trump says, you know, Biden, he's what he's wandering around the White House probably naked looking for his ice cream and his pills. I mean, the Biden thing is elderly abuse in my opinion at this point. I feel bad oh, almost like
1: so, like if for you're like, his wife like pulling off the stage and let's be done yeah. with this. You're know, like it's, it's okay. Like you got to be president. Uh, it's good for you. I mean, that's a really that's a really big thing. You got to do it. So go be go enjoy the last ice cream cone you're going to have for the next few years. You know I <laughs> It's, it's really, I would agree with you. It's total elder abuse. Like, who where are the, where's his wife or his children to say, like, no, dad, we're done. You know, that's, that's its own. It's shameful. It is. It's its own tragedy. Yeah. Guy that spent a lot of years in public service. I didn't always agree or probably didn't agree with him very much, particularly across the course of his career. But the people of Delaware did, you know, and they voted in him in a bunch. And so, on some level like the guy's been a public servant Let's let him have some time here like this, is, this
0: is sad he's he's been a creature of washington for half a century yep. that's yeah that's it that's all the and the guy's 80 81 years old that's basically what he's done his entire uh, career his whole life has been yep. that um yeah bobby you're right man i've seen people who were very skeptical but i invited them to events i said just come and listen to him ask him a question Come and hear what he has to say. And they're like, yeah, there's there's some stuff that I'm kind of not into. But, man, I'll tell you, majority of what he said is like right on. And instead of um, buying the propaganda like Bobby talked about in that video, um, what's it called? Uh, what was the word he used?
1: Mal information.
0: Yeah, that that, that, that BS, the, the labels, anti-vaxxer, conspiracy theorist, uh, crank. Nut job. I mean, that's we know that's all BS, but that's that's the script that the legacy media is is following against Bobby. Um, but when people go and listen for themselves or check out any of the long form podcasts he's done, they come they come out of it with a much clearer picture of what he's all about. Yeah, totally. It's it's actually
1: partly. I mean, I, not to bring it back to those those videos, but like I'm I'm feeling very much like this is a moment for storytellers in our in our time. Um, we haven't done a very good job of telling the American story, not to our children, not to the people that are immigrants, not to people who would want to come here or be a part of our culture or our life. We haven't told that story very well. We have projected a lot of things around the world that are bad stories. Um, we've been at war pretty much all of my children's life, if not long, you know, certainly longer than that. Um, we are, we've ruined the money supply for everybody around the world um, for all sorts of reasons. So our projection of who we are as a, as a country is not the heroic world that um, people have talked about. And I, I wanted to start telling that story. Um, and so I, yeah, I don't know. I've written a bunch, I've written for other places over the course of my career. And when I when Tucker started doing his thing and kind of putting his stuff out, the amount of views that he got simply by being a video presentation, I thought, man, I would try that with some writing. So I did a couple of, of those, started writing, started then doing these picture kind of essay things with them that were all somewhere between three and fifteen minutes long, and started making these episodes of telling the story of the where we've been wrong, where we've been right, what what our Republic is really about. What are the issues associated with our Republic? And, you know, interestingly, I keep I keep doing them and I get to the end, and I'm like, oh yeah, well, and also I need to put in RFK because he's actually telling this same story and this is a person in the moment of politics uniquely that is actually telling the same story that I'm telling or trying to tell or a similar story or at least enough connection there to say, man, and look, here's somebody in our midst telling the same, saying the same thing that we all feel, and we're rubbing up against it. It's really hard for us, and we're we're struggling to buy groceries for our kids, and we're struggling to put gas in the car, and we're struggling to do all these things. And here's all the reasons and rationale behind that. And oh, by the way, this guy over here, he's saying the same things. And um, it's been pretty cool. It's been pretty cool to experience it. Like we were talking about before. Uh, it's pretty rare that, like in my own world, <laughs> that something that I've put together and written is suddenly uh, being pushed out onto social media by a possible president of the United States, a future president of the United States. pretty cool.
0: yeah, it, it is amazing. and I, I th- this is I think this is one of the first videos of yours that I saw. So I'll, if you're cool that I want to play a little bit of this one, I know it's kind of a longer one.
1: Yeah, for sure you
0: Um, play what you want out of this but but, yeah bobby shared this one and then this this one man is like wow this 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 is really good again i'll let the video speak for itself and we'll we'll play we'll start playing it
1: sounds good i was born in 1975. i am at the heart of a generation that had mothers leave the home and head into work to make ends meet who grew up with parents overcome with the general malaise that hung over the country and who has come to age at the end of the american empire It's easy to be critical. In fact, we are the generation that invented grunge and lived comfortably with angst in our spirits. We were latchkey kids who were forgotten by the boomers who preceded us. Their engrossment in their own successes in life left us on the sideline, too uncomfortable with conflict to say our grievances out loud, but also still hoping for the America our grandparents had described. We have put our heads down and tried our best to do the things everyone said would work to create a happy life. We went to college. We got good jobs. We were active in our communities. We involved ourselves in civic institutions. We did all we could for our families. But after all of that, we still find ourselves stuck in between a world that once was, and a dystopic one, that is coming faster than we could have ever imagined. We haven't lost hope like the next generations, and yet we haven't gotten the traction that our parents did. Everything in our time is more difficult than the last, and not because of existential threats like Nazis or communists, but because of a self-induced suicide as a country. We have had harder barriers placed around us by an activist boomer generation and an overly sensitive youth. Our money has been ruined because of irresponsible politicians and political payoffs for power. The economic system is a crushing capitalism for most of us, yet we see the veneration of a few fortunate people that live in wealth unimagined by previous generations. I disparage no one for their success, but the punitive actions by a cancerous state have put Generation X squarely in the crosshairs of a brutal America. We still believe in hard work and success, but our children feel hopeless and don't think that anything that we say works does. And truthfully, their assessment, while harsh and fatalistic, isn't incorrect. Groceries are more expensive. Our food is processed and poisoned. Our lives are surveilled beyond understanding. Building wealth seems elusive. Societal norms are lost. Institutions are untrustworthy. And houses are out of reach. I've been more than skeptical of politics in my life. Everyone that has been paraded in front of me has been cut from a similar cloth. They seem like quality people with great ideas who are propped up by talking points most promoted by the media. There's always a horse race election and the results have forever been the same a trajectory cast in permanence, ever marching towards more control and more power for the state. I was intrigued by the Donald Trump of 2015. He was one of the most interesting people I had seen run. He was confident, blustery, and was one of the people in the club that came out to the porch to tell us what was happening behind closed doors. Yet even President Trump couldn't overcome the power of the machine. His wrecking ball personality was dismantled by the people he surrounded himself with. And he relied too heavily on untrustworthy people to do the work he claimed he wanted done by the end of his term he had spent more money than any other president he had locked down an economy he had empowered federal bureaucracy more than it had been when he came into office and anything that had to do with the loss of his election came as the result of having a country locked down and frustrations pent up Arriving at January 6th, the machine knew what they had been able to destroy, and no matter what came next, Trump had been ground up and spit out. His current revenge tour will not end the way his followers hope, and elections will appear stolen. The media will still be crooked, and Trump will fade away as a graciousless man whom the political system destroyed. I've made it clear that my choice in this cycle is Robert F. Kennedy Jr. I've come to that conclusion not because he has all the talking points of politicians down or because he's 12 years the younger of the youngest candidate currently running. I've come to that conclusion through a careful and elongated study of his actions. The things he is talking about are the things I resonate most fervently with as a Gen X American. He's discussing endless wars. He's discussing Bitcoin. He's discussing the rights that have been lost. He's discussing free speech. He's discussing corporate agency capture. And when he's talking about them, he's not just nibbling around the edges of a policy, but instead showcases his deep understanding about how any subject works. No one understands and articulates solutions to the problems we face as a country, as well as RFK Jr. He's actually worked in the field of law for the last 40 years, suing the agencies and the corporations who have been unscrupulous in their treatment of the average American. He has a surgical precision about his solutions, that gives us the best shot to begin to unwind this metastasized monster. I believe he understands the agencies that have built a prison for the well-behaved citizen and knows their inclination and adoration for power. He understands the shadow world that has been created with illegal immigration, where the non-citizen is the beneficiary of misbehavior and the citizen is burdened with the humanitarian and financial crises. As a candidate, he discusses the revolving door of regulator and board member and how the crony system comes at the expense of the American. No one in my lifetime has better articulated the angst of my generation. We were just becoming adults when the towers came down. We were just having children when the housing market collapsed and nefariously consolidated into the nationalized institution it has become. We were just sending our children into high school when the federal government made it permissible to lock everyone in their homes, cease educational operations, and obliterate the value of our dollar by paying everyone to stay inside. We've lived our lives surveilled by our own expensive ankle monitors, clicking yes to the terms that sign our rights away to a corporate state, to be sure to post on social media for our next like. This is the world we are navigating as a generation, and for once there is a politician who has traction, gumption to move outside the norms, and boldness to speak about the ills that have befallen us. He has the voice to disrupt the entrenched, and the capabilities to bring the ship upright from her side. When someone finally speaks as a representative, it becomes incumbent not just to listen, but to act. Our republic demands it. Our future will not exist without that action. This time, I want a surgeon with precision who is lighting up the possibility within me that there might be hope for the flywheel of political punishment to lose its momentum. In the recent weeks, I've been reminded of his father's own speech about the gross national product and how those words were a powerful call to the people of that generation. If we listen closely we can hear not what just could have been but what might still yet be ahead my generation wants a different option to measure our lives by we are tired of the homo economicus life we want an america for our children that measures the things that make life worth living
3: too much and for too long we seem to have surrendered personal excellence and community value in the mere accumulation of material things our gross national product now is over $800 billion a year. But that gross national product, if we judge the United States of America by that, that gross national product counts air pollution and cigarette advertising, an ambulance to clear our highway of carnage. It counts special locks for our doors and the jails for the people of race. It counts the destruction of the Redwoods and the loss of our natural wonder. In chaotic sprawl. It counts napalm, and it counts nuclear warheads and armored cars for the police to fight the riots in our cities. It counts Whitman's Rifle and Sex knives, and the television programs which glorify violence in order to sell toys to our children. Yet the gross national product does not allow for the health of our children, the quality of their education, or the joy of their play, It does not include the beauty of our poetry, or the strength of our marriages, the intelligence of our public debate, or the integrity of our public officials. It measures neither our wit nor our courage, neither our wisdom nor our learning, neither our compassion nor our devotion to our country. It measures everything in short, except that which makes life worthwhile. And it can tell us everything about America, except why we are proud, that
0: we are American. Man. That was, <laughs> dude, I, I, had, I had to show the whole thing. Sorry. Sorry to make you sit through your own work.
1: <laughs> it's okay. I, I love that ending. That's was that. That's been one of my favorites that, we, that I did. I, I don't know. It's like, it, it, it's hard not to get emotional about what might be, right? I mean, that's, that's the piece of it. That's most, I think most touching to me is that, um, I got four teenage kids and, and they got robbed, man. They got robbed by this deal, by they got, robbed yeah. by, they got robbed by like doing all the things you're supposed to be doing when you're 16 years old, going out, hanging out, having fun, playing, graduating and driving cars and all that. And it was all robbed by these, monsters, man. And I, I can't. So when I hear somebody talking about the things that actually mean something to my kids, that's a different world. It's a different place to be. I love that last speech because it's still true today. Like, I don't want the stuff. I don't, I don't want to be told by a talking box how I'm supposed to think. I don't want to be told by a talking box, not to sell kids, toys to my kids. I don't want to be told by a talking box about how to, which which is the next pill I need to buy, which is the next thing I need to go support. I, I'm more embarrassed in my life uh, than anything of my support for those initial days of the Iraqi war and weapons of mass destruction and buying into that, man. It's embarrassing that I ever got suckered into that deal, but it was because that's what was being told. That's what we were supposed to be we're supposed to be believing that's the government that was telling us what had happened we watched the buildings come down for God's sakes um, so when I you know that last part of that video is like just it was just is meaningful to me for me. I used AI art in the style of Edward Hopper to generate all those images and it was it when it finally kind of came together I was like I, I couldn't stop crying <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, I won't lie. I, I I cried the first time I watched that too, Aaron. I watched I watched it a couple of times, um, and you're right, man. There's there's almost something kind of like cosmic and supernatural about Bobby grabbing this baton and doing it, and yeah. and putting it putting himself out there. And it's 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 heroic in my view. It's very heroic, and uh, yeah. I just I, I I just can't I can't believe it's happening. I can't believe he's doing it. And and like you said, in the thing finally someone gaining some traction. Who's, yes. who was willing to smash conventional wisdom and, and say, speak hard truths um, and, and say the things that really do ill our society and our world um, and, the, and the health of our of our republic and and everything and all aspects uh, aspects of society. And, um, yeah, I'm a, I was a freshman in high school when 9-11 happened and I had many classmates sign up because of 9-11 for the military. Yep. And uh, some of them went over to the Middle East and they had to kill people and do horrible things and see horrible things and, and lose battle buddies and then come home and get addicted to drugs. And, and it, it's all connected. All of Absolutely. it is connected.
1: Absolutely it is. And, um, yeah, I, it's exciting. I, honestly, it's, I would never – these things take me forever. They take a lot of time. and They take a lot of energy to put together. I've done 31 of them now. Um, and, and, um, I wouldn't be doing, I don't make any money. I'm not part of the campaign. I don't, I've, I've talked to them, of course. I mean, they've, they've asked permission to retweet them or, or put them on YouTube or whatever. And, and, and so I've, I've had connections with them and conversations and they've all been really dear, wonderful connections and conversations, but I'm doing all this because I have got to tell this story. Like we live in this moment and how lucky are we? what's the great line, you know, when the world gives you dragons, make sure you're a dragon slayer, like raise your children to be dragon slayers. We're there. Um, we got a world full of dragons and we've got a guy with that wants a sword and a little ground and I'm going to do whatever I can to continue to perpetuate storytelling. Cause that's how this solves itself. We have to keep telling the story about the greatness of Liberty what it means to be free people what it means to have a heart and a mind oriented to natural law and what does that look like and how do we live that way And if you've got a guy that's willing to lead that charge boy keep telling the stories so we can do and i'm just pumped about that and i think it's so cool that we got to live in this time
0: yeah amen to that man how long did it take you to write that by the way
1: the writing's the easy part man i i can do those in 20 minutes. I can write the thing down in 20, 25 minutes just because I, that's my practice. I love to write. I practice writing time. So I, I'll, you know, that's a bit of an, uh, an uh, illusion because you yeah, I think about them. You know, I'll be driving around a car or whatever, thinking about what I want to say. But when I finally sit down to do it, it takes me 25 to 30 minutes to write that stuff. It's the, and then voiceover is pretty easy. You know, it takes, probably a half an hour to actually do the voiceover the way I want it. And there's still things I would change when I listen back. Um, it's the assembling of the images in the video that probably it's about, it's about an hour and minute. It seems like what it is to do the video. So, um, takes about if I'm doing a 15 minute video, it's, it's 15 hours of work. Um, yeah. and I don't, but I don't, you know, I feel like that's, are you kidding me? That's well, this
0: is your passion.
1: It's nothing, right? And it's nothing to tell this story at this time. What if if I looked back and and one, if one of these things actually is something that is helpful for? And that's been really fun to watch. Actually, is people using these videos and play, you know, placing them on somebody else's timeline to say, "Hey, have you heard this? Or did you watch this?" Um, that's been really fun. And if that's helpful and that you know encourages us, where you know he's talked about needing a point a month basically to get to where he needs to go. And if in the next nine months, one of those videos helps get a little bit of that point, uh, I will not have regretted spending any of those time that any of that time doing it. Uh, What I will regret is if I didn't, you know, right. Um, And we got to the end and I was like, I ran out of gas at SA32. I I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't want that at all.
0: Yeah, well it's it's appreciated, Aaron. And you know, I want to thank you for it. The passion comes through. And I, I know what I'm hearing and the images I'm seeing is 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 a big part of who you are and what you what you're feeling, how you feel and what you what you know, your truth, and you know, that the message you want to get across. And it's really important. And what's so refreshing about it is it's it's not the same tired bullshit that you get beat over the head with by these political campaigns and and by these stupid, frivolous, vapid, shallow ads that don't say anything they spend millions and millions of dollars on them and they're, they're the worst crap that you could, you would ever imagine your video you're just you're a regular dude and that's from your heart and that's that's how you feel and what you believe and know to be true a million times more impactful than anything you could see come from one of these professional like packs or the these groups yeah. who focus group and spend millions of dollars polling people and all, all this nonsense and this bullshit i've been around all them for 20 years man and, and and that that's why this stuck out to me, and it's why I wanted to have you on tonight to highlight your work and your passion, and really celebrate you and, and laud you and, and thank you for what you're what you've done and what you're what you're doing, and will continue to do, Aaron. I think it's beautiful and it's awesome.
1: Thanks, Eric. I I, um, I appreciate that very much. It's a, it's been a humbling experience, and I I'm really grateful to. I've made more connections in this deal. I've, I feel like I have found a. A bit of a family in politics with these, with all the Kennedy folks. It's been just—they're they're the kindest people. They're the most—they're the most articulate and, t- and intelligent people I've ever been around in politics. They speak well, they think well, they're willing to listen. That's the people I—and um, it's not to be tribal. It's just to say that that's—it feels good to be around people like that. So that when you're thinking and you're trying, you want to do something. Um, it's great to have people around to push back into you and ask you questions and provoke you. I mean, I think that's a huge part that we need as a society is to be provoked, not provocation does not require animosity provocation requires thinking. And, And if you, if we can do that with one another, and we can be provoking of each other thoughtfully and in kindness, we will be so much better off in the long run. And I just, um, it's really, it's really meaningful to me to be in this position. I never, I never thought I would be. So I'll continue to do it.
0: Yeah, it's awesome, Aaron. And everyone watching, um, this is Aaron's uh, Twitter, well, formerly known as Twitter, his X profile. So if you're on Twitter, go give him a follow. It's at lonely underscore hipster. Um, Aaron Everett, it's a great, just, it's amazing, amazing stuff that you're doing. And I urge everybody um, to go check out his stuff. And Bobby has retweeted it and it's been, it's been all over Twitter. It's been all over social media and it is having an impact because it is, uh, real. It's not, it's not manufactured. This is not something you can buy. You know, this is not something like you put a room consult, uh, a group of, uh, egghead consultants in a room together and they, they wouldn't be able to come up with this because this is authenticity and you can't, you can't fake that, man. And and people are getting better at sussing that that the BS out. So
1: yeah, like I, mean, I said, <laughs> no bones about it. I'm a supporter. I mean, I, I am yeah. a supporter of him, but I, I also think like that's okay too. We can be honest about that. And it doesn't come across as having to be a shrill. We we just we might believe in something. It's okay to say that we do. So
0: it absolutely is this is the United States of America, baby. Right. We got that first amendment. So there's a couple of quick questions we'll get here and then we'll wrap up. Cool. Uh, so someone said, side note, what are Aaron's favorite guitar chords to learn as a newbie? Thank you. Thanks, John B., for the question.
1: Oh, uh, you know, actually, some of, the, some of the things that actually make your hands work better in guitar are to learn some of the – they're a little more challenging, but there's like half diminished chords on the guitar and augmented chords, both of which just are same shapes they're kind of oddball shapes, but it makes your fingers stretch quite a bit, and that um, those were like kind of breakthrough chords for me. So even if you're a beginner and you're playing G Cs and Ds to supplement those chords, they're in Beatles songs a lot. So augmented chords and um, and half diminished chords, they're they're all formed the same on the guitar all the way up and down the neck, and so it's a, but it makes your fingers go in a different direction than you normally would be. Get good with your pinky. That's like top tip i can give you in guitar uh playing is your pinky's the key to making yourself a better player
0: yeah george harrison called them the naughty chords yeah and uh he used them a lot of them on all things must pass his first solo album
1: yep they're really fun and it, it kind of exploded my mind past just playing yeah church songs are all the same five chords so um or rock songs pretty much all the same so when you can move into that it makes you playing just a, a really cool thing
0: yeah as a beginner learn all the open chords in major and minor and then learn the bar versions absolutely yeah. e, e minor and c were the first two chords i learned
1: yeah you can play a lot of songs with those <laughs> yeah
0: all right what else uh last comment fauci knew that masking and lockdowns did not work against a virus yet he let it go on people need to know the truth of these things yeah, it's true. Trump's like, I'm not going to fire Fauci. He's doing a great job. He's doing a great job, Aaron.
1: Honestly, that, uh, that deal, that was the moment for me. I mean, I, I thought it was, I was skiing. So we were skiing, we were in the mountains we were we were uh, at Copper Mountain and we'd take my dad, my youngest son, and we'd gone up for the, we'd gone up for the day. We're going to have, my son had a swim meet that weekend. So we'd gone up on Friday, drove up and all of a sudden, you know, we going to dinner and the guy's like, this is going to end my business. I'm, they, if they shut this down, it's going to end my, we're watching, my dad likes to watch TV and I hate TV, but he was watching TV. We're in the hotel room together with my youngest son, we're watching Fox or whatever he wanted to watch. And, you know, it's just this endless panic of whatever. And I'm like, this is, this isn't, we're not, we should not be doing this. We should not be, we should not be doing this. And, <laughs> and it, no. And then, you know, we get to the, we get to the next like three or four days, everything's shut down. Everything's going into panic mode. I'm still working. So like the thing I'm doing at the time, I've got employees. We're still working. We're essential, you know, which I, another term that absolutely triggered me to the point of like, should not be calling people essential in this world. This is not, this is, this is not what it is. And then mm. he marches that guy out and I I had already kind of, I already had my skepticism up about the whole thing. He marches Fauci out, do a quick research on who this guy is and you find out all the things that happened in the AIDS pandemic, pandemic the, <laughs> all the AIDS crisis stuff and you're like, this guy, this is who we're, this is who we're parading out as the person we're supposed to listen to?
0: This ghoul. Cool
1: this is the guy and from then on it was like man you if you didn't if you didn't do your homework to find out that that guy is the essence of what's wrong with the with the bureaucracies and the alphabet soups in washington dc i'm sorry man he lost me and that that's what happened
0: yeah well, we'll, we'll leave it there. Aaron. Uh, you know, again, I want, I want to thank you for coming on and hang out with me after I end the live stream. So we can just chat t- a little bit after, but uh, everyone that's Aaron Everett. Uh, like I said, check him out. He's making great videos. Um, he's putting stuff out there that is thought provoking and interesting and emotional. It, it's got everything. It's got everything you're looking for. It grabs you and um, everyone I've talked to who's watched your videos in the Bobby world and outside of the Bobby world uh, likes it. And, uh, something about it appeals to them. There's something for everyone in your videos, which is cool about them. So keep uh, keep making those, Aaron, and I'll, we'll keep sharing them and, and supporting you and, and putting it out there. So thanks. Uh, thanks. Absolutely, yeah. Thanks for all you're doing, and thanks to everyone who tuned in tonight uh, to another episode of Jackman Radio. If you haven't hit subscribe, um, if you want to support this channel, we are independent. Um, the, the best way you can do it, if you're inclined monetarily, is patreon.com slash jackmanradio. Five bucks, ten bucks a month. Any amount you can do helps. Um, it helps fund projects like the amazing interview I got to do with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. back in April. I hired a camera crew, had it professionally done. Um, and it's, you know, it's Trump would say, I don't want to say this, but I'm going to give myself an A-plus, Aaron. Okay? How's that?
1: It's a very good one.
0: I like that. How's that? Yeah, I'm going to give it an A-plus, Aaron, like your videos. Okay. Uh, But thanks thanks for tuning in, folks. And the audio will be up on all our platforms for this. And we'll be back with more interviews and more episodes very soon. So everybody be safe, take care of each other, and have a great rest of your day.
1: Thanks, Eric.
0: Thank you, Aaron.